Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Rostari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment. Mentoring Moments is brought to you by the all-new crossover Toyota CHR. Edgy, stylish, and fun to drive. Visit toyota.com slash c dash hr to learn more. Embrace the unexpected. And sitting across from me at the table where everything happens here is Natalia Nastaskin. And she is the head of music operations for United Talent Agency. First, welcome, Natalia. Welcome, Great welcome. Great to be here. I'm so happy you're here and that our Thrilled. friend Artie has introduced us. Yes, I love indeed. when women are, as we're all connecting each other, when we're at the places best. and we're like, okay, now you need to meet my friend, Natalia. And it's like, okay, okay. It's just great. So straight out of law school, you did something that may not be for everyone. Right. You started your own entertainment law practice as you're sitting here smiling about it. So you didn't go to work for a law firm. You started your own practice. Well, I, I would have liked to have worked for a law firm. And I went on three interviews to try to get a job after I came back to New York City from law school uh, and took the bar. I hadn't interviewed like most of my peers did during school because I thought, well, how hard is it going to be to find a job? Can't, can't be that hard. I had worked throughout school. I supported myself while I went to college and, and subsequently law school. So I, I, all I knew was that I was always able to find work since I was 14 years old. Well, to try to find work in the music business shortly after finishing law school is a totally different story because frankly, the firms that I wanted to work at weren't hiring candidates right out of law school. They were hiring young candidates with some corporate experience, but I didn't want to have corporate experience. I wanted to be a music lawyer. That's what I told myself I was. And I was billing myself out as that, as that professional. And so after three rejections, I couldn't take any more rejections. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And at the time I was speaking with my mom and a friend of mine, and they said, just open your own practice. And I thought, but how can I do that? I don't know anything. And they said, well, how hard can it be? And so that set me on that course of hanging up my shingle and opening up my first ever professional endeavor on my own at the Fisk building, you know, on West 57th street. And, uh, I struggled and I struggled some more. And then I struggled some more until five years into practice I started to get a real client base and real, you know, paying clients that understood that my services were worth something. But those five years were a real learning experience for me. And it's probably where I had most of my mentoring moments. 
which I can't wait to hear some of them because I think you're in that industry. You're in a, a crazy industry, good crazy. She's like looking at me, shaking her head. Crazy industry with a skill set that is not always combined with, enter, with entertainment. You don't, most, a lot of people don't go to law school thinking I'm going to be an entertainment. I'm going to be in the entertainment industry that I want to be in the music world. So, but it all worked out for you because now you are head of music for United Talent Agency, which is a huge powerhouse agency. You're representing artists from across all platforms of media and entertainment, a lot of big, big names. So you're surrounded by the best of the best and you've received awards, including the billboards power one, and Variety's Women's Impact List. And so it's all worked out for you. So we're going to get started and I'm going to share my mentoring moment. So I have a friend who announced a few months ago that she's going to Paris for a month. And she and her husband, they're in their 70s. They're, and she's still working, that she's going, her husband's an artist, that they're going to take a month off and they're going to rent a home, an apartment, and they're going to live in Paris for the month. And she speaks French fluently. So this is like that story that, you know, I want to be a French woman in my next life, but I've changed that up. Now I'm really going to become a French woman in this life. So I'm working, that, that is part of my thing I'm working on. But I'm just looking at it and thinking, I'm so happy for her. And that leads me to talking with my husband and saying, we need to do this, which we both agree that in the future, we're going to go live in Paris for a month. But here's the story. So her name's Gwen, and she, every day she sends an email to a close group of people that we that we opt in, so to speak. And it's a really detailed email to this intimate look inside her life, from what she ate with photos to when she got up, what time she got up, was she having sleeping problems, did she sleep the night? So just really like living her life. And for the first nine days, it was all about the great food, the great restaurants, the great shoes. So you read in the museums they're going to and how they're just exploring and walking down like these hidden streets and finding the non-brand named items that we're all kind of long. I think a lot of us are longing for in this world, right? And so you're just looking at it thinking, oh, this is so wonderful. And she's really enjoying her time. She, now she's there for about 20 days and the email starts off with, this may surprise everybody, but I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to leave. Mm -hmm. And a part of me, you're reading it, and there's a lot of different thoughts that were going through my head. One was, everything was just great. But I thought, she's really honoring what she's feeling. And even though she had plans to go to some more great restaurants and take a trip to Brussels, there was something that was really strong in, inside of her saying, I just want to go home now. I really thought, as exciting as what we're doing sometimes, and this applies to all things in our lives, sometimes we just need to leave sooner than we thought, even though there are great things out there that we could still do, that you could say, okay, well, I'm going to say because I want to do them. Obviously, something was speaking strongly to her that she wants to go home now. Right. Um, I really honor her for honoring herself and saying, this is really strong for me. And it was just that great story. And so they're coming home six days early. But as my message behind all that is sometimes we need to leave sooner than we thought. Sometimes we need to stay longer than we thought. But it's really honoring what we're feeling inside. And I think that applies to women so much in our jobs and in our relationships. We either hang on too long or we're, we're not getting out soon enough, or we're not seeing why we want to stay sure. and giving it a chance. Has that ever happened to you? 
I think it happens on a fairly regular basis, you know, just throughout life. Uh, you know, you touched on relationships. That's certainly one. Um, I think, you know, with me, I haven't had a, um, series of jobs where I would go from one job to another to another. So I just happened to have been uh, having breakfast with a recruiter the other day, not to look for alternative employment, of course, but just she's she's a friend that I now met through um, an organization that recently honored the two of us. And I said to her, you know, what, it, what are you seeing in your job now? You know, what are you, what are some of the trends? And she said, well, she primarily works with attorneys and she said, there's a lot of competition for, you know, high powered seven plus figure attorneys. And the majority of them will kind of move from place to place after three to five years, you know, because you pretty much become stale after that period. And I thought, Oh my God. You become stale after three? I'm super stale because I... <laughs> I like that. That's a title. That's a headline. I'm super stale. I'm super stale because I went from my law practice uh, in 2005. I went into the live industry and we can get into that in a minute. But since 2005, I've basically stayed in, in the live music business, moving from a general counsel position to an executive position, but generally pretty much in the same space. And I thought wow, you know, with everything that I feel like I've achieved in my professional life, are people on the outside going, damn, she's just been there for so long. (laughs) She's so stale. She's got to move on. And is she even able to move on now? So you start kind of doubting like, okay, I thought I was at the top of the world, but am I really? Because now I'm looking at myself from her perspective and how she may be looking at executives. So, so it, it was interesting to me. I'm super happy with where I am and I won't be making any changes in the near future. I have a passion for music that will never, 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 never die. And as long as I'm blessed enough to stay in the industry, I will, irrespective of, you know, where I am, that, that, that is always going to be my thing. But yeah, uh, I think when you when you talk with people who have an ambition, get there and realize, I'm not sure about this. You know, I've been forewarned by friends of mine who have been in super high paced jobs their entire lives. And they get to a point where they may be, you know, 45, 46, 47 years old. They feel like they've saved enough money, made enough money that they're going to take a step back and they're going to tend to their home in the country and they're going to have a farm and they're going to grow vegetables and they're going to work with their hands and they'll have some animals and when they get to that place and it's everything that they dreamed for themselves, like your friend in France, they think to themselves, is this really it? I've now left all of this behind, all of my high-paced, insane lifestyle of you know working in entertainment or working as a high-level attorney or whatever it may be, and I'm maybe bored, I'm maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I am having doubts about my decision. I don't know if my husband still loves me the same because our conversations are completely different. So, you know, I think it happens to all of us at some point in life where we pursue something that we think we really want and then we get there and we realize that it may not be exactly what we wanted. And so back to what you were saying about being true to yourself, is it I'm going to wait it out and, and stick it out and, and continue on this path? Or do I listen to my internal self and take a different step, you know, and, and, and detour. 
And I think as long as we aren't closing the doors entirely, right? So Gwen can always go back to Paris, hopefully. I mean, you know, hopefully the health, all those things maintain and she can go back at a different time and you can always go back to work, but, but you don't shut the door to it. It's not like, you know, screw you. I hate this. I'm going off to the farm and I'm never hanging out with you people again. It's keeping those relationships and realizing that you may change your mind again. And that's okay. That sure. don't beat yourself up and don't put yourself in that prison then of freedom, right? That it's like, I can now do what I want to do. And for some people that is a prison in their own heads, right? That I, I need that stimulus that comes with work. But I think we're just so, we're always evolving and moving on. And I, and it's being true to ourselves in that moment, making the best decision for in that moment and not cutting off anything that we might want to go back to or continue with. Absolutely. I think it's a testament to living your life to the fullest is taking chances and pursuing routes that don't seem necessarily uh, plain to you in the beginning, but as you go on in life and as you go on in your profession, you kind of assess where you are and where you're going and maybe make little detours in the process. I think, you know, if we don't do that, then maybe we do become stale. Right. And I have a feeling that although you're not looking for alternative employment, that if you wanted to go somewhere, people would be knocking down your door. Before we get into Natalia's mentoring moment, let me do a shout out to Toyota. Toyota is introducing an all new crossover the Toyota CHR distinctive style meets unique spirit in the all new Toyota CHR. It's about embracing the unexpected in an edgy crossover that effortlessly takes center stage. Uniquely expressive CHR's precision cut lines let it shine from every angle. Tucked away neatly and nicely, all throughout your CHR are advanced safety features and measures that are designed to help keep you alert and safe in the event of an accident. Because as any good driver knows, accidents can happen. And when it comes to driving, the best defense is a smart offense. Born from the ingenuity of a race car driver, CHR is designed to maximize driving pleasure every time you turn the wheel. So embrace and express that bold spirit in the smartest way possible. Visit toyota.com slash C dash HR to learn more. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Many bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hi, I'm Tavis Smiley. You may know me from my PBS talk show. I'm excited to tell you that I have a brand new podcast that you can hear on podcastone.com starting this July. I'll discuss the latest in politics, sports, music, and much more with big thinkers, artists, and celebrities. I'll also share my own opinions and answer some of your questions. So join the conversation this July on the Tavis Smiley podcast coming to podcastone.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Mentoring Moments is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. 
and nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Natalia, I really loved everything you've shared so far. And now I want to get into your mentoring moment. Yeah, I think, you know, my career has been my one constant in my life. And as an immigrant, you know, I have been longing for a constant for my entire childhood and my formative years. So, And so how old were you when you came to the United eight States? Eight years old. Uh, and so, so the career has been a real important anchor for me, uh, as I got on in life. And so mentoring moment, I actually have three mini moments. Go for so it. So I'm, mo- I'm going to share, share them all. When I was first starting out and, and those are probably the moments that I remember most because I was scared to death when I started my practice. And even though clients would come in and I could never show that I, maybe didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I had to be extremely professional and extremely on and I was by myself. So I had to sell myself over and over and over again to people when they came into my office. I was competing with the biggest attorneys in the world. So um, in the very beginning, there were things that I absorbed or heard or was told by other executives that I admired that stuck with me for the rest of my professional career. And the first thing was, you have to step into traffic. And if you don't step into traffic, nothing will ever happen. And as a young attorney hearing that, you sort of go, well, what traffic, you know, where, where is it? And is this deadly? It's like, I've been told not to to look right and look left. What does that mean? And as an entrepreneur, what I ultimately realized that this means is get out of your comfort zone and network and meet people and collaborate because if you don't do any of those things once again you know you're in your own little world you don't learn you don't get to create connections that may be bonds that take you to the next level in your professional career and if you don't step into that proverbial traffic you just might become stale or go out of business or you know realize that your path isn't necessarily the right one for you. And so as, because I, I was in that entrepreneurial space as my own, you know, solo practitioner, my own boss, my own everything, frankly, in the beginning, I made it a point to get out of my comfort zone, which as a shy kid, you know, was not easy for me. Um, but I put myself out there. I joined every possible, you know, bar association and entertainment section, copyright society, volunteer lawyers for the arts, anything and every place where I could facilitate my network and continue to nurture and develop it and step into the traffic that was the entertainment business and try to absorb things either, you know, from experienced attorneys who were practicing in the space or, you know, in the process of talking to lawyers who maybe were getting an inquiry that they weren't interested in, in servicing, it was too small for them. That's something that I could have taken on and, and made it my own and, and learned from that experience. So step into traffic was one. Then the other one was 
you're not a $20 bill. Not everyone's going to love you. And that, again, for an immigrant kid who came here wanting to just be liked, you know, wanting to lose the accent, wanted to lose the extra pounds, wanted to have brilliant white teeth like all the American kids. I was extremely uh, shy and I was extremely concerned about you know, do people like me? Will they talk to me? Will they be my friends? Will they recognize that I have an accent? Will they be okay that I come from the Soviet Union? And so when that plagues you the majority of your young adult life, and you just want to be liked, in the professional world, you're not always going to be liked if you take a position, especially as an attorney, when you're almost daily in adversarial situations. You're negotiating deals, you're representing your clients to the best of your ability, you're a zealous you know, counsel and advisor and a guide to your clients. Yes, you're going to have to take unpopular positions and people are going to not like you. So it took me a long time to get over the likability need to understand that if I'm going to take this job seriously and zealously represent my clients, that there are going to be people that won't like me as a result. So that was an important lesson and a mentoring moment for me. And then lastly, a very important executive uh, at William Morris Agency, it was called WMA at the time, he said to me, maybe my second week of practice, he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. And I, I promise you it's going to help you your entire practice. And he said, return every phone call. And I thought, okay, reasonably simple. But when you're inundated with calls as you're growing and developing and nurturing your business, then do you really have to return everyone? But the reality is, is that you do, because as he said to me, you never know what's on the other side of that line. And it's true because a lot of the great things that happened to me in my practice were not planned. A lot of the clients that I started working with over the years were not clients I could have ever imagined I would have been representing. And it all started with a call. It all started with a call from somebody who knew somebody who left a voicemail on my phone and would say, I was sent to you by so-and-so, and maybe you have a few minutes to take my call and I can tell you a little bit about what I'm working on. And Oftentimes, you know, we're so busy that hitting delete on that message from a person you don't really know, can't recognize the name who referred you, kind of keep it moving. But you have to return every call because as I learned uh, in the process of developing my practice, some of the most compelling, some of the most exciting deals and the most exciting clients that I got to work with came from those little voicemail messages that I could have very easily deleted. So returning every phone call is a, another mentoring moment that's meant a lot to me. Does that apply to every email as well? Because I think a lot of people can get your email a lot easier than your phone number. Yeah, I, I think that at this point, we can gauge the emails that are more phishing, spamming, not very important to the emails where, you know, right away, you know, that this is an email that you need to pay attention to, even though it may be a cold email or a cold call. Uh, there's just something about it that gets my attention. And I say, Hmm, this is something I need to pay attention to. I agree with that. It's like, I get so many emails as I'm sure you do of course. Uh, from PR people pitching for a woman to be on mentoring moments. And there are some that just stand out that you just go to immediately and others, you just delete. It's like, but you know, if I've got to get to paragraph six for you to tell me that she met with President Obama, 
Right. It's like, could you just bury the headline for me? Okay. And I don't even know what she does by paragraph six. I'm not quite sure. Is she an artist? Right. Or I'm not quite sure what she is. (laughs) Could you like tell me who she is, what she does, and give me like that highlight of her career? Right. Whatever it is, it differentiates her from somebody else. But the others I just delete because we just get so much. And then you can't do what you need to do. But I think the phone calls are really important because it's harder to get your phone number. I agree. And I, I actually think the art of cold call at least in our business, is almost lost because there used to be a time when that was the only way to reach somebody via fax, which came later, but via phone was really it. I mean, you sent letters too, I suppose. We, we all did back in the day. But but the phone was, was a really important vehicle. I mean, I remember listening to experts on panels, for example, again, as I was starting out, I used to just try to hit every panel I possibly could listen to lawyers in the music business or, or the entertainment business in general, just pontificate. And I would listen and there were, would be gems of knowledge that they would kind of, you know, disseminate onto the audience. And I would say to myself, God, you know, I want to know more about what this lawyer is doing. The only way I could get to him was by making a phone call. So I, all I knew about the lawyer was his name and his firm affiliation. So I would dial the directory and get a phone number and reach out. But it would take me about 45 minutes to get to that place where I was truly, you know, motivated enough and inspired enough to make a phone call to, you know, one of the greats of the music business. But what I found is when you make that phone call and you say, I heard you speak at so-and-so people actually will take your call or will call you back because that's what they're there for. They're talking about the things that they believe their audience should know. And if the audience comes at them and says, listen, I thought what you said was brilliant. Can you please elaborate on this, this and that? What I found was that lawyers actually wanted to talk to me about the things that they were talking about on these panels. And that also is how I learned, you know, some of my business. I would say my adversaries were my greatest mentors because when they were, when we were on opposite sides, whatever they were throwing at me as negotiation points, I would write those down because I knew that there would be a time I would be on the opposite side and I'd want to have all those points outlined in my notes. And, and so I always say my adversaries were my greatest teachers, but also all of the great, you know, lawyers on, on panels and entertainment law sections of bar associations that I listened to growing up. It was just incredible. And I love these tips. I love the the $20 bill that you're not a $20 bill, because I think we all do want to be liked. So how did you get over that though? I mean, so here you are. So, cause I think a lot of our listeners feel that whether they were shy, whatever it is, overcoming that and saying, you know, it's not that you don't care what people think, but you can't care what people think. Right. So let me just tell you how shy I, I was. Just re- a real quick story. So we're in New York City now, right? Where this interview is coming yes. at the world from New York City. So in New York City, a lot of our travel happens by subway. So when my family came to New York to live, and ultimately, you know, around age 12 or 13, I was permitted to take the subway by myself to go into Manhattan. I was so shy that I would miss stops on a crowded subway because I was too scared to ask people to move out of the way so I can get out. I'd be sweating bullets and I would, you know, end up missing a stop or two in some cases because I just couldn't get through the crowd and I couldn't utter the words, please excuse me, I need to get out. So, so super shy. 
So likability was really important. (laughs) And what happens is when you believe in your position, when you believe that I am representing this client and I am going to be an advocate and a guide and a counselor to this client. And I envision this client's trajectory and what his, her, or it's in the case of a band future is going to look like when you believe in yourself and in, in what you're doing so much that you have to take a position, as I said before, that may be unpopular. It is what it is. And you learn, you know, every step of the way. When I read industry leaders take strong positions in the media and in the press, I'm so proud to, to see people that take that to heart and actually come out and say, no, I don't believe in this platform. It underpays artists. No, I don't believe in this deal because artists suffer. So I think that taking a firm position in your belief and knowing that you'll have detractors and you'll have people that don't agree with you. It just is part of business. And the more you're doing it, the more you do it, the more you get used to that feeling of, I know people are going to take shots at me as a result of this, but this just is what it is, I believe. And you're such a nice person. I mean, you are. I mean, you really are. I mean, your smile, everything about you just says you're very authentic. You're just very nice. So how do you mix nice and tough? Because you're in a tough industry. Yeah. I have always been fair. Again, an artist representative first and foremost. My job now takes me away from direct client artist contact and and it's become more about the agency and the music group fitting in within the agency and just making sure that the agents themselves have the resources that they need to do their jobs in the best possible manner. So my focus is is different. I'm I'm not representing artists day to day, but ultimately everything that we do at the agency is for the good of the client. So I am nice. I have a reputation in the business of being, you know, a good person, as you said, but I'm also very fair. I'm not a bitch, excuse my language for the sake, sake of being a bitch. As I said, I have to take some tough positions from time to time and make some tough choices, but people who have seen me work and who have experienced dealing with me know that in a negotiation, I'm always going to take the fair position and the fair side from my artist, my client, the agency, and they know that I'm not going to fight them on little bullshit things just because I'm trying to make a name for myself. Ultimately, we all want to get the deal done and we want to get the deal done in a way that services the artist the best. So, you know, again, I, I'm fair. I'm fair in how I conduct my business. I'm fair with how I talk to agents. I'm extremely transparent because I want everybody to win. I, I have no personal agenda whatsoever. That is not to say that I haven't had to deliver some really unpopular things internally, policy-wise, in the music group. I mean, you know, the agency group that I was general counsel for and CEO for for several years was acquired by UTA two years ago. Massive company, you know, that had and has actual policies that it's on me to enforce with the music group. Policies in some cases are quite different from what we had at the agency group. And in some cases we didn't have policies at the agency group. It was a little bit more of a, you know, looser universe. So when I have to take a firm position on something that didn't used to exist or existed in a different manner that people like better, it's like, Oh, Natalia, really? Yeah, really. 
let's keep it moving. You know, ultimately, this is a minor blip on in everyone's daily life. Let's just keep it keep it moving. Let's go. If somebody has a massive problem with something that I take a position on, my door is always open. My phone lines are always open. And everyone that I work with knows that. But uh, if we're going to be great, there are going to be things that not everybody agrees with. It's just right. part of life. Before we hear about who encouraged Natalia to be an entrepreneur, let me tell you about the business platinum card from American Express. Business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward, with business platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card. And I should know because I have been using the American Express Business Platinum Card for as long as I can remember during my life as an entrepreneur. And it's backed by the service and security of American Express. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. Now, back to the conversation with Natalia. You said earlier that your mom told you to open your own business. That's usually different. Most moms are saying, okay, you're out of college, go get a job. Right. Right. So tell us about that. (laughs) I will say about my parents, they are amazing. They took a massive gamble in bringing the family over to America in the late seventies. But because they were so into their own, get a job, learn the language, put food on the table kind of life, which is the only way that they could have survived. The idea of figuring out what our children are going to do kind of fell, you know, to number 10 or 12 on the to-do list. Therefore, when my parents realized that I was coming up to a time when I had to make a career decision, and I at the time was going to probably the worst public school in New York City in East New York called Franklin Key Lane. We were the first school to get metal detectors in the city. And um, I had a guidance counselor appointment. And when she asked me what I wanted to do, my mom had already suggested that I should be a lawyer because in talking with some friends, they said, well, Americans, they say kids should either be doctors or lawyers. My mom said, you can't stand the sight of blood, so you should be a lawyer. You can't be a doctor. And so when I told my guidance counselor that I wanted to be a lawyer and she said, well, you know, you, you really need to limit your expectations because kids from the school don't become lawyers and they don't go into the professions. They take less stressful jobs. And so I came home and I was like, um, mom, dad, I can't be a lawyer. Guidance counselor says I have to aim lower. And my parents, you know, walked into the school and they said, our lawyer, our daughter is going to be a lawyer and we don't really care what school she goes to or who else is doing what around here, but that's what she's going to do. And so I think that by deciding that I was going to be a lawyer in some instances, maybe my mom and dad thought that they figured out the rest of my life. And so I appreciated the guidance. I myself had wanted to be a teacher, but that's for a different uh, time. So, but my mom said lawyer, so you don't argue with a Soviet mom, you know, you just (laughs) go. Uh, And so in law school, I realized that not really loving law school, not loving Washington, DC, where I went to school, not really loving the international trade uh, career trajectory that my parents also kind of were hoping for me. 
And I called home and I said, you know, I think I'm done with this. And they were like, no, again, you know, Soviet kid, when parents say no, you do what parents say. And so I stuck it out in school. And then when I came home, I had a friend in in law school who had said to me, you really need to do something in music because that's the only way you're going to survive this law thing since you seem to not like it very much. And so when I came home, I said, I'm going to you know, pursue a career in music as a lawyer. And my parents were like, no, you're not. And at that point I was like, no, actually I really am <laughs> that I, you've gotten me to this point. Thank you very much. I got myself from here on in. And I think probably to this day, they're not quite sure what I do for a living. They know that the law thing figures into things somehow for me, but they sort of saw more clearly defined route for me. So when my mom said law and open your own practice and, you know, do that, I think she was probably thinking more along the line of more clearly defined, like immigration law or real estate law or bankruptcy law or something that, you know, you can, that's tangible, you can put your finger on. When I said music law, they were both like, what (laughs) is that? But they know I'm doing all right. They just <laughs> so don't. You haven't know called what them and is. asked them for money recently. No, <laughs> so not so ever. Okay, right. You're not okay. ever. In fact, I, Wait, so I you're did okay. well there. Yeah. They're not buying you a car, and you can pay your insurance, so you're okay. <laughs> That's every parent's thing, right? Can she pay her insurance, and does she can she drive herself to work? Yeah, they know now. I'm good. Yeah. That's that is great. So you when you started out. And you, so you now have your own practice and now you decide to partner. Yeah. So I was on my own for about eight years and then, uh, I was out for dinner at some place in New York city and I was with a, with a friend who spotted another friend in, in the restaurant and she invited this friend over and he sat with us. And when he found out that I worked in music, he said, you know, I work in commercial litigation, but I'm so passionate about music. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Can I come and work for you? And I said, well, I can't afford to pay you a salary, but I can certainly help guide you with deals if you bring deals in. And we wound up partnering up on that basis. Shortly thereafter, he left his commercial litigation firm. We got together, we formed an entity called the Music Law Group. And we worked together until 2005 when this opportunity to join the agency group came. And I met with my then partner and I said, you know, this is a once in a lifetime. And by then Napster had come in to sort of the recorded side of the business and file sharing and piracy and all of that was becoming pretty rampant. Artist deals as a result changed drastically. The advances became much lower. And I realized that I needed to make a change in my profession and my career because the landscape was shifting so much. And um, in terms of representation of artists, it seemed like the live side was where the, the business was headed. And so he said to me, of course, I understand. Uh, I get it. If you know, I'm going to continue on with this practice. And I said, great, I get it. And to the extent that I can help you, I'm happy to always be a conduit for you and your clients. And so we parted on very amicable uh, terms. And I went into the agency group at the time, literally physically moved into the agency group's offices, didn't become a full-time employee until a few years later, but carried on representing 
clients that were essentially my own clients that I built up over the years. And the agency group slowly over a period of years became my dominant client and, and, and probably took the most amount of hours in my day. That's really how, how my practice developed. The agency group was super kind to me to allow me to continue to represent clients outside of the agency group simultaneously with servicing all of their needs. Um, and in, in 2009, the founder of the agency group, Neil Warnock, essentially asked me to be more of a business development uh, function for, for the company as well. So, but, but basically to answer your original question is yes, I did partner up with another lawyer and it was great. I mean, we, we worked really well together. We represented incredible clients at the time. He was mostly, um, heavy metal and rock facing. I was at the time dance and house and, and indie alternative rock facing. So it was a good combination of artists that, that we took care of. And, you know, it was, it was great while it lasted, but I felt like the trend was moving away from, from artist representation on the recording side for me at least, and, and moving into the live side of the business. I love your story of where you came from and where you are, because I think it plays into so many of us, whether you know, we were immigrants or we were born in this country, is the insecurities, whatever's going on in our worlds growing up that get in our way, but we keep going, right? And we keep moving and we are, you're an entrepreneur to start with, and then you see another opportunity and with the way the industry is growing and you're able to say, okay, I've got myself to this place now. I can move over here and do this. That can really, I can really be great at that. And then that led to United Talent Agency, which is a huge and great job. And I think a lot of times when I'm talking to young women, they get stuck in thinking because they built something, they have to stay. This is like my baby. And I get that. There's an attachment to that baby. But there are so many ways to grow with your baby and take your baby with you that you don't. And sometimes it's better off to leave the baby and the baby is already growing. You may not think it has, but the baby is growing and they need to go to college and they need to go off and be in the music industry just like you. And other times you want to take the baby with you. Um, so I, I, I love that story because I hope that it gives others that knowledge and just that sense that you just keep growing and moving and you go sideways, you go straight, you go right. And you, but you just got, you have, you have tenacity. Is that a good word to your tenacious? I think so. I mean, you know, from your perspective, it's, you know, it's how you see it. And, and, you know, based on my story, it's, you know, your analysis of myself. I recently received an award from TJ Martell and it was a woman of influence award, which for me was like, literally, you know, it's such a rite of passage. I remember coming up in the business and seeing executives honored and just thinking to myself, wow, am I ever going to get to that level? And so when I got up to receive my award, I said, you know, I'm just a pudgy, shy kid from the bowels of Moscow who had a dream. And that's really who I am. And as I look at myself in the mirror every day, that's still who I see. And I'm, I take every day to prove to myself that I can do it still you know, and, and it doesn't matter how successful I've been, how much I've achieved. I recognize where I am in my professional life and the struggle that it's been to get there, but I still take every day as a challenge. I have goals and and aims that I need to achieve daily, weekly, monthly, annually. And I am still taking one day at a time, one step at a time, to show myself 
that any obstacle that, that comes in to my universe or any goal that needs to be achieved, I'm still going to, you know, attack it, approach it from the same perspective as I always have. And that is the internal willpower to get over it, you know, and, and achieve and succeed and don't stop until you get there. And yes, that, that also has a lot to do with my upbringing. And, you know, again, in the Soviet union, you had to be a straight A student. Otherwise you were like, you know, yesterday's garbage. People just did not pay attention. So you had to be a straight A student. So it started from then. And it's just always been this desire to achieve, overachieve, do and overdo. So, so every day I, you know, you say tenacity and I say, it's just my will to power. And it's such, you're, you're so inspiring because it is so genuine. I wish people could be here. Hopefully you'll get that sense of being in our kitchen with me. So to tell you, I am so inspired by you and that whole will to power. And that's a perfect segue for us to get into our next segment, which is I'm done with that. Great. So I'll start with I'm done with I'm done with not thinking I deserve a gift. Now I'll explain that. <laughs> When I was younger, if you gave me a gift, as much as I would love the gift and I was so excited to get the gift, there would be this part of me that would think, did I deserve the gift? Did, if you were giving me a thank you gift, if you were saying thank you for speaking, I was like, but did I do good enough to get a gift? So as I've gotten older, that's one of the things I am done with. It's like done with questioning when someone sends me a gift, if I deserve the gift. Now, like, how screwy is that, right? But it's a true confession. I don't do it anymore. A little bit sometimes, I have to admit, but I really kind of erase it the moment the thought creeps up because it's hard to get rid of old habits that I just kind of say, I laugh at it and say, okay, that was the 25-year-old Denise. 40 years later, could you please get over it? Right. <laughs> Accept it, it, be grateful, be happy, enjoy the flowers, smell them, look at them, and move on. Yeah. I, I love that. That's a great one. So we've touched already on one of them, which is I'm done with wanting to be liked all the time. You just can't do it in the professional world. Can't do it in my profession. So I'm done with that. I'm also done with accommodating other people because I don't think that they should be accommodating me. So it could be the simplest thing. Like for example, do you want to meet for drinks? Yes, I do. Okay. Can you come to 18th street and ninth Avenue? Which is like, no, I don't want to go there, mm -hmm. but I will go because it's maybe it's somebody that's more senior, somebody I really need to see somebody that I feel I need to accommodate. So I'm taking a different approach now. And when I schedule these things, I say, you are you available on these dates at this time at this location? Yes. <laughs> so, which so, is very smart because oh, I'm, I'm guilty of doing what you were doing and saying, sure, what day works for you next week? And then they throw out the place and you're like, but that's across town. So whenever someone sends me the email, email that says, let's meet here. Then I'm like, darn, I wanted to be, why didn't I do that? So that is a big one. Um, yes. And you, there's some people you do have to accommodate, right? Of course. Because they are your client, they're senior, yes. whatever it is, but everything else, it's like, there has to be a happy mix. Absolutely. And, you know, to be clear for some people, I will get on a red eye and fly 13 hours just to see them for two hours, but that's not what I'm talking about. Right, now. right, right. It's, it's the other stuff, right? No, I agree. Right. I agree. So now we're going to get into takeaways. I asked our listeners to send us questions that they want to ask you. Great. I know it always is. And so here's one. When you were starting out and met famous people, did you ever feel insecure like you didn't belong? 
No, because by the time I met famous people, I had been practicing for a while already. So it's a matter of habit being at the venue and seeing bands and seeing their managers. So whether it was an executive that I've always admired or a superstar that I've always, you know, wanted to get close to, by the time I got to the point where I was backstage enough to be around those people, you're already a professional in the business and therefore you conduct yourself in the same manner with those people, with those members of the industry as you do with some of the newer bands. So you understand their trajectory, you understand their careers, you understand what they're there to do. I mean, you know, for artists, putting on a show is their job you know, and they have bad days and they have great days and you sort of, you know, can't think that they want you in their face, uh, all the time, even though you may be the biggest fan of Rod Stewart ever, you just, you know, you have to know how to approach and when. So while I wasn't nervous, I, I attribute that to having had the experience of already representing artists, even though they may have been, you know, starting out versus the legends that I would see backstage. Um, but you just develop sort of a rapport and, and connection to people in the industry that people from the outside, uh, may just not understand. I would never go up to someone now without a real reason for it. If it's somebody that I consider ultra important, like, uh, an important manager, if there's a reason for me to be speaking with that person, I will approach and I have no problems doing that. But if it's just to say hello, I probably won't because it's, it it has no meaning. It won't resonate. Um, and you learn that as you go on, you know, and in the beginning, I remember seeing some record executives at showcases and I would think to myself, wow, how can I go up and what can I say? And what can I possibly do to, you know, be noticed, to be recognized, to start a conversation. And ultimately it would be an awkward sort of, hi, how are you doing? I'm Natalia. I'm a lawyer. I know all about you. So try to steer clear of that. And now it's really all about what kind of, uh, conversation can I have with this person that's going to resonate for me and make sense for them business-wise? Right. And I think, too, a lot of times it's looking at, as you were just saying, through their life and what's important to them in the moment. Sometimes you know, people don't want to be bothered in the moment, right? right. They're, they're doing their jobs just like we're doing our jobs. And although I think that enthusiasm that comes from sometimes with a lot of younger women in that they've been taught to go network and just, you know, to be like, hi, I'm so-and-so and this is, you know, here's my business card and here's what I do. And right. there are times where you just need to take that back step and, and absorb and learn and use that in the future when you see that person. Optimize those experiences, right? Yes. When just don't jump because they're in the same room. Think exactly. about how important is it because you don't want to come across that first meeting as she just what does she do? Once again, you know, it's like, what does she do and who is she? Right. You want to have some value. Exactly. To it. You can't force a connection. And you know, look, there have been plenty of times when I would see an executive at an event and it's somebody that I wanted to know and be on their radar and uh, you know, other than shaking their hand and saying who I am and introducing myself and having no game, so to speak, whatsoever. What I would do is if I knew that they were going to be at a showcase or at an event or at a show, I would come up with a reason to come over to them. So for example, they just had a record that went to number one, or they just signed an artist that I think is so exceptional. That is a much better way of approaching someone, if you must, than just sort of 
coming over, shaking their hands and saying hello. So it's doing your homework. It's being prepared, right. doing your homework, and really optimizing the situations to be the be your best and at the best. Absolutely. So here's our here's a second question. What don't you like about your job? I yeah, I love my job, but there are times when I'm working on a particular initiative that requires more than just my input. And everybody's super busy and nobody can get to it and time is ticking and it's on me to get this thing done and I am not, you know, the ultimate end all be all. There may be a group of 10 of us that have to sign off on something, but I'm leading the charge and, and it may not be the easiest thing just to corral everybody and, and have them make a decision and move on a project. So when I'm leading the charge on something and I'm not getting cooperation from my coworkers for no other reason that they're too busy, they're on planes, they're covering shows throughout the world and I can't get it done fast enough. That's something that I, that I don't like about my job when, when the buck stops with me, but I don't have entire control of the process. Um, but in the corporate world, you can't avoid it. So again, it's one of those things that you have to just be organized, thorough and, get to it as soon as you can get to it with your colleagues who can get to it whenever they can get to it and just keep it moving. We're all part of a bigger system, right? Yeah. Whether we need our client to sign off on something, our peers to sign off from some, on something, to help us with something, and just not getting that input when we need it. I'm very, I, I'm, I, I'm with you on that. I very much, I want to do it now, but there are times that I don't respond to people, right? Cause I'm too busy. Right. So it's not that I don't care what they're doing, but if they're, I just can't fit it in. Right. And I'm holding them up and you sure. feel badly you're holding them up. So we do, it's always going around, but I think that's great because realizing that not every second of our jobs do we have to love. Like I hate details and a lot of my job is in the details. I mean, we're sitting here with the timer. God, right. <laughs> that's like I'm timing the podcast. How long it is? It's a detail. Yeah. I have to turn the timer on. I hate details, but that just comes with the territory. Sure. To get to the bigger goal, that is the territory. I cannot thank you enough, Natalia, for being here. Such a pleasure. I just love being with you. Thanks thank for having you me. So much. Is there any content? Any but not not your phone number, but any place that you want people to go within the business to find you. Well, they can certainly UTA. come on our website and find me there. It's uh, utatouring.com. Great. And uh, come visit and check out all of our great artists that we work with. I agree. And there are great ones. So thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining us today. And to get Mentoring Moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, remember to download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or podcastone.com. And make sure to rate, review, and share. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts about, are you ready to get out of your comfort zone and step into traffic? And Do you agree that you're not a $20 bill and not everyone needs to love you? And what about returning every phone call? What experiences have you had? Talk to me. I'm easy to find, always on Twitter, at Denise Ristari. Until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. 
I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, creative inventors, and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.